Now, don't be fooled by today's title because today's episode is really super interesting. We promise we're talking all about the energy of society. You will be blown away by how much influence and impact and uh, integration that you have with society during this episode. We hope that you're ready to buckle up and tune in because this is going to be a fun sociology ride. We're sisters Kay and Shy, and we're the hosts of the Infinite Energy Podcast. We believe that everyone has the power to live a more energized, optimistic, and fulfilling life. In every episode, we share tips and techniques for harnessing your own power and creating the life you deserve. Get ready to ignite and discover the limitless power of Infinite Infinite Energy. All right, so this episode actually comes at direct request from our listeners who have been asking for more information about what gets taught in our, in Shyla sociology class and in our leadership and culture class. And so we're gonna get into it today talking all about the energy of society and its influences on you. Well, let us share with you a recent interaction that we had and and our the beautiful Cheryl Cooper, who we love so tremendously, was in on a meeting with us. Uh, and I shared a, a little bit of a teaching out of a recent sociology class. And she said, you've got to, you've got to share that on social media. You've got to, you know, get that story out there. So we're going to do a podcast on the influence on the energy of society. Um, but wanted to share just that quick teaching with you. And the, and the concept is this idea of culture lag and the culture lag is what happens when material culture advances and non-material has to catch up. Non-material culture has to catch up. What does that mean? Material culture, things that are physical that we can touch, that we can see, uh, like your phone, like when that technology advances, right? So material culture advances like the phone and then the immaterial culture, the values around, the habits around, the knowledge around, the usage of the phone and the plans around the phone, that all has to catch up to the new technology. And that space in between is called culture lag. And so isn't that interesting to consider the different culture lags in, in, in our lives and where we see it, but culture lag is what kicked off this I think, request for a little bit more on the energy of society. Well, a a funny culture lag instance that keeps popping up in our lives um, is actually a very interesting culture lag piece that Shyla and I see demonstrated in between the two of us. Now, Shyla and I are seven years apart in birth. And uh, Shy, you have a great distrust of one of my favorite appliances, the dishwasher. I do. And it turns out I'm not alone. You aren't <laughs> alone. And turns out this is totally a culture lag problem. Totally a culture lag issue. As I, you know, we've always just kind of ha ha tease shy that I, I'm meticulous about the way the dishes have to go. Militant into the dishwasher. <laughs> I don't trust that it's getting it clean. If I can't scrape it off with my nail, how in God's name can water blasting out to do it? But that's besides the point. What we're getting at here is that the dishwasher was invented in the 1950s and was considered a luxury item until about the 1970s. And then in the 1970s, it started becoming a regular household item and appliance. Now, the house that I grew up in after the apartment was a much, much older house. And our parents uh, remodeled the kitchen when I was about eight years old. And before that, it did not 
have a dishwasher. So I did not grow up. I didn't have the formative years using the dishwasher, trusting the dishwasher. There was There's a lot of distrust around dishwashers. You see this along ethnic lines as well, very much so, and minority groups. Um, and it turns out that the woman who lived with us, our Aunt Heidi, uh, also didn't trust the dishwasher. And I idolized Aunt Heidi at that age. And if she didn't trust that new contraption, then neither would I. And here I am, 37 years old. <laughs> still not trusting the dishwasher. Now that's an example of personal culture lag in my life. I'm sure there's some in yours too. Well, here I am now seven years shy's junior and I love my dishwasher. Like I will throw the dishes in there with the food half baked still on it. Like do not care. Everything goes in that dishwasher. In fact, I actually watched a video on how to load your dishwasher properly just because I was curious as to see if they would tell you to rinse all of it off at the same time. And she, and she said, you've got to leave a little bit of food on your plates in order for the soap to have something to grab onto and then disinfect the rest of the plate. So uh, whether you disinfect it yourself or not is uh, definitely a debate <laughs> in our sisterhood. And you know what? You're in the family now, too. You are our sibling now because we want to know where do you lie on this issue? Do you clean the dishes all the way off before you put them in the dishwasher? Or do you trust the dishwasher to do the job that it was designed for? But chances are you likely fall on a generational line or a, uh, a cultural line that has this uh, deep mistrust of dishwashers because of this idea of culture lag. Ah, asking the hard-hitting questions here on the Infinite <laughs> Energy Podcast. Where do you stand on the great debate of dishwasher trust? It's a big deal. It's a big deal. But what's, it's, it's funny, and I'm glad that we can laugh about it because it's a great example of uh, something that we might not necessarily think it's influenced by culture, but it absolutely does. And that's right that our material culture advances and the non-material culture takes time, right? Uh, just because a law changes, does that mean that there were no more racists after, you know, the, the laws change, we know that not to be true. And so we see this culture lag and this idea of it is just one of the things that we study um, when we look at the, when we look at society and when we consider ourselves within it. Now, one of the things that makes Shyla most qualified to teach and be our leader on this subject is that she has a master's degree in sociology that she earned from the University of Nevada, Reno, and she teaches sociology 101 at UNR, which is so amazing. And the reason that I'm qualified to in on this discussion is because I've taken Sociology 101 five times <laughs> now because they've sat it on every you single practically one. practically teach it now. Sure. Class, right? <laughs> oh, next year we're co-teaching. Hi, Sociology. <laughs> what qualifies you to teach this science? Repetition. <laughs> yeah. Yes. But what's been so cool is this uh, bit, being able to understand the ideas that sociology brings forward so deeply, uh, especially because we study and teach on leadership and culture in a business sense. And we've always focused a lot on creating culture within the organizations. But understanding that culture from a societal perspective affects everything in our lives, from what toothpaste you buy, to what kind of clothes you wear, to how you decide to wake up in the morning. You know, in fact, just recently I was telling Shyla that um, I have uh, have found that I have a belief uh, around um, that if I bought something that's expensive, that someone else is going to judge me negatively for having an expensive item. And so I often find myself justifying purchases to anybody who even gives me a compliment. Someone will say, oh, I really like those pants. And I'll be like, oh my gosh, well, I got them on this big deal. And, and don't worry, like, I, you know, I found them like this. And there was like this double coupon thing that I was able to put together. Um, but even that, because society often reflects that big rich people are evil, right? Rich 
people equal evil. And so I found myself uh, demonstrating a societal influence without even recognizing that maybe that has some harm on how I view myself if I were to be as abundant as I hope to be in my life. Well, it's an it's a great example of that influence of culture and the pressure of something that we teach a lot about in sociology, this, uh, this idea and the presence of social norms, right? There are norms and expectations around each level that you are positioned within society because there's you as an individual. And when we study you as an individual, that's psychology, right? Anytime you add ology to the end of something, it's the study of it. So we study the psyche, that's psychology. When we study the society, that's sociology. So when we're looking at that from the, from this angle, and we look at norms and the influence here of what these expectations can do to us or not do to us, depending on where we sit within it. So we have ourselves within the society, then we have our roles, that's who, right, that are in our statuses, that, and their status includes things like um, things that you've achieved, like you've earned the status of graduated student, uh, or if you're married, those are those are um, achieved statuses. But then you also have ascribed statuses, which are the ones that are like assigned to you at birth, uh, you know, what, what, your, what your biological sex is, what the color of your skin is, often your religious affiliation. I mean, that can, you can choose to change that later, but typically that's assigned at birth, at least historically speaking. And so there's all these complex levels. You have the statuses, you have the roles, you have the groups that you're involved in, you have the institutions that you're involved in. And at each one of those levels, there's norms and expectations on you that might result in a 30-year-old white female in America having the feelings of shame around spending money on frivolous items. And now we can see how things start to stack. And that really demonstrates that influence of society, whether you're aware of it or not, is really a part of your daily life. What's interesting about this is that once we're able to bring a level of awareness to societal influences, we can see them at play in our speech patterns, in our behavior patterns, and then examine them and say, is that a pattern that we even want? You know, hearing the pattern come forward of justifying away purchases that bring me joy was something that I found to actually be kind of toxic. But what was interesting about it was that when I brought up the issue initially to Shyla, she says, I love bonding with people over a good deal. That's always something that I love to bring forward to somebody as something that we bond over. And so the fact that even the two of us, as close mm-hmm. as we are with as many of the same cultural influences that we have, would still approach the statue in the middle with two completely different views. That's a reference from our last podcast, but it is a sociological principle that if you have five people looking at the same statue, that that most of them are going to see different things, right? Much like all of the blind people touching the elephant and all having a different experience, right? One person says it's a rope and one person says it's a wall and one person says it's a it's a giant log. Uh, but really what they have is a trunk, a side body and a tail, uh, but not all of them are blind and none of them know. So it can be very similar when we're studying how culture can influence us, right? We're blind feeling our way along based on our own experience, but bringing these macro perspectives forward can help us make more informed decisions and create a life that is more in alignment with our choices and intention. Well, from groping elephants to unloading dishwashers, <laughs> it's been a wild first segment here. We hope you'll join us on the next one as we're looking at the energy of society.
We're talking leadership this week. And one of the organizations we are so proud to be at the helm of is the Neuroencoding Institute. We got to co-found the Neuroencoding Institute alongside Dr. Joseph McClendon III, amazing world-renowned neuropsychologist and incredible mentor and teacher. If you're at all interested in learning more about what the Neuroencoding Institute does and what it can do for you, please visit neuroencoding.com. One of our proudest business accomplishments is what we've been able to do with Squeeze In Franchising. The Squeeze In is a breakfast lunch restaurant featuring the best omelets on the planet, and it's been around for almost 50 years, and now you can have a Squeeze In in your community. We've seen how this business transformed our families, and now we are so excited to offer this to families around the country to see how this little restaurant might change their family and their community. If you're wondering how to set up your adult children for legacy and success through a small business, then the Squeeze In is an option we urge you to consider. Come find out more about Squeeze In Franchising at squeezein.com. You're enjoying this episode on Angel Phoenix Productions Podcast Network. To explore a complete lineup of quality programs and media production services, head on over to angelphoenix.com or like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Angel Phoenix Productions. Okay, okay, we have got to stop here really quick on societal norms because, boy golly, do we have a story for you. So Shyla and I were flying on an airplane, uh, a quick hop. So we got onto a Southwest Airlines flight. And if you've ever been on Southwest before, you know that it has open seating. If you've never been on Southwest before, then here's the thing. Southwest, you board in groups. So you get a boarding position, either A group, B group, or C group. And there's about 60 people in each group that board the plane and then have open seating. So you don't select a seat. Now, I upgraded one of my tickets to be in the A15 group. And I said to Shyla, look, I'll upgrade my, my ticket and I'll put down a scarf on the seat next to me and I'll, and I'll save your seat because I know that you're in the back of the B group and we want to sit together. Now, that was a really easy thing to say, but societal conditioning had my reality looking very different. So there Kay finds herself building a person out of her various items to sit in the seat next to her, including a Hydroflax water bottle head face thing with a jacket (laughs) on the back of it to look like a hood that I wrapped in a scarf. (laughs) You did good. Well, what's it? All the while texting Shyla, like I I was just dying. Oh, and you guys, I was like C34. (laughs) I was in the last C group. I was actually loving this because I knew your experience on the plane and you're texting me close and I'm like, they're still loading B group. And you're like, oh my gosh. (laughs) And then you're like, are you in line yet? I'm still sitting in in the chairs like it was it was a painfully long time now let's put this in social science speak right what Kay was experiencing she was violating a social norm there is no formal sanction against her saving that seat there is no formal policy from southwest that states you can't do that there is no formal sanction which is the social science speak right the consequence of violating a norm that comes across her there's no ticket there's no reprimand right but there are a lot of informal sanctions (laughs) that come along with norms and those include things like frowns looks 
question size. Oh, or the person in front of me and to the right who had also saved a middle seat, but then had the person come in and had to explain, no, I'm saving this for somebody who is coming. And then the person was like, really, can't I just sit here? And then they had to go back and forth like, oh my goodness, <laughs> that interaction and the thought of that having to be me was so stressful. So I put on my hood, I kept my sunglasses on, I built my person, I sunk down and I just didn't make eye contact with anyone on the plane. But boy, violating social norms can be painful. Now, it became less painful when you reassured yourself by checking, was there a formal sanction? And there was not, right? She Googled it. She saw there's no formal rule against it, which means as painful as it is, I'm not going to get in any actual trouble and I can save the seat for my sister. So I'm sure you can relate to these kinds of experiences in your life where you've you've been the person that's out of odds or right when we violate a social norm, we're being deviant, which is our another our next kind of social science term there. We're deviating from the regular, which means people are going to notice and they're going to react and respond either positively. Right. There's positive sanctions as well. Smiling. Right. People nodding it when you speak and people clap. Those are those are positive sanctions that reinforcing your behavior, reinforcing. Right. That you're doing good on the expected norm there. But when we're not, that's called deviance. And that's when we move away. And what deviance often goes in hand in hand with is something that I know many people talk about a lot, which is social stigma. Social stigma can be a big deal because much like Shyla said earlier, we have these roles, right? And there are ascribed roles, things that get put on you, like your race or your ethnicity. But then there's also these achieved roles. And achieved roles can be both positive, things like graduating college, or something more negative, like earning yourself a felony or maybe becoming addicted to drugs. Now, when you have a uh, an expectation, a societal expectation now put on you because of that role that says you are a drug addict, you have a set of rules that almost come along with how you're supposed to act. What now is to come from you as a drug addict? And if you deviate from that, it can be jarring for people, uh, either for the better or for the worse. And so it's really interesting to see how these roles can get put, put on you but we react to how other people react to us. And so this can influence our emotional state. It can influence our ability to think clearly. And it can also influence our very actions, which as we know, our actions influence our results. And so if we're getting really bad results in our life or maybe results that we feel could use some calibration, maybe you are running some societal program based off of either ascribed or achieved statuses that you've earned, or maybe you haven't, that, that you should examine and say, "Mm, maybe there's some thinking patterns that I didn't create at play that are holding me back. Oh, I'd love that empowerment there and that just kind of reframe on understanding where that's all starting from and just having that awareness around what is uh, something that is perhaps coming in from society or that I've internalized from societal and cultural expectations and what is it that I actually choose to do? You know, we talk a lot about the voice in your head, right? That narr- internal narration that's happening and how many of us struggle to de-identify with that voice. But the thing is, the voice is it's it is voicing the preferences that it would like to see in your life, which often have nothing to do with the mission that you're here to serve. And and so on that internal piece, right? If that mission is strong, then we ha- then de-identifying with what that internal 
voices saying can help us better achieve that mission. And that internal voice is largely programmed by your environment, your experiences, and all of those things are part of society and part of culture. So there's once you bring that awareness, you can decide which parts of the program you like and then which parts you want to get rid of. Now, my daughter, Violet, is five years old, and she does not have a whole lot of that deciphering ability in her own brain to decipher what society tells her and what is her own thoughts. Not yet. At least it's coming in the next few years, and we're very excited uh, to see her blossoming. But the uh, she has had a tendency to say things like, well, they don't do that normal, mom, right? four-year-old speak, they don't do that normal, or that's not normal, or I'm just normal. And we always try to say, well, honey, what even is normal? Like, what does that, what is that to you? Are you saying that someone isn't normal or it's not normal because they eat a different food than we do for dinner every night? Are you saying it's not normal because somebody wears a different set of clothes than you? Normal is your idea of what's normal. And when she's this age, right, it's really what society tells her what is and isn't normal. And now she's trying to calibrate for herself what that means. But we are, as her parents, having to help her have this dimension of understanding that to bring the different perspective forward and not just necessarily buy what's being fed to her. And so that maybe this is a, an opportunity for you to have that wake up call or that examination and understand that we're so young when these influences start in our lives and that our definitions start to take hold that then define how we think and how we perceive the world for sometimes our whole lives if we don't bring intention and attention to it. Uh, I, I love that. And, and and I love that example with Violet, right? And like, what what an excellent demonstration of that internalized norms, right? Like norms, normal, like, hello, she's obviously voicing the expression of culture and society through her experiences and, and, and trying to figure out what is normal, what isn't normal, because normal equals right, right? Normal equals conformity. And that's, and, and conforming is sometimes what we want to do. And sometimes it might not be. And sometimes others can't conform those who have those stigmas as we were talking about earlier once you've you know, once you have that felony record that's a stigma that follows you for the rest of your life even if you don't engage in felon behavior anymore same with alcoholics right they may have recovered 35 years ago but that stigma will always come with it especially as they continue to enforce the identity i'm an alcoholic been recovered for 35 years that means that's still part of that core dna and that stigmatization runs deep both internally and externally externally. I'm so glad that you brought that forward, that internal and that external piece. So really be thinking about this. Society influences you. Your family influences you. Your culture influences you, which I am hoping that you can set us up for our next segment by just describing what are some of those influences that we have when we are examining where we are receiving society or culture from. Ah, Well, in social science speak, those are called agents of socialization. (laughs) (laughs) What are the agents of socialization? Uh, the agents of socialization. Well, the primary, main, number one agent of socialization cannot be overstated. This influence is probably no surprise to you. It is your parents. It is your primary group. The people that raised you and the people that you were around when you were raised is the number one agent of socialization, the number one place where you learned what was normal and what wasn't, what was part of the norm, what was part of the expectations and not. Then we've got the, we've got media, uh, right? And that's a big topic in today's world. We've got our institutions like education, like government. I think about uh, my, my third grader bringing home the little book that says government at 
at work and it talks about <laughs> fire trucks and police officers wow, and right. This is socialization. Shyla calls the or Shyla. Violet calls them community helpers. Exactly, right? So this is that socialization piece where they learn at school to pledge allegiance, right? Those societal things. So these agents of socialization, you've got your family, you've got your institutions, you've got the media, and then of course you've got your peer group. Um, and you've got those that are around you and the connections that you make outside of that first familial group. All of those are influencing you. And we look forward to picking this back up on the final segment of the energy of society coming at you next. Do you find yourself losing control of your scroll on social media? If you do, then you want to stay tuned to join the Simply Social Club with Kay and I. We've got an awesome challenge for you where you have the opportunity to detox from social media for 48 hours, seven days, 14, or even 31 days right along Shyla and I. So go to kandshy.com slash simply social and find out a little bit more and hopefully you'll take a pledge alongside us. We'll see you in 2023. See you in the club. You're enjoying this episode on Angel Phoenix Productions Podcast Network. To explore our complete lineup of quality programs and media production services, head on over to angelphoenix.com or like our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash Angel Phoenix Productions. we're talking about those agents of socialization, that is an extremely fancy way of saying what are the sources of influence on you as you are shaping your identity and where they come from. And I do not know if this word fits anywhere in here, but it is a big fancy word and they use it in sociology a lot. And I'm going to just say it. Stratification. You said it. What does it even mean? <laughs> Stratification. Well, it's a, it is a fancy word and sometimes it can be hard to understand precisely what it is, but tr truly stratification. Here, I can even, I'll give you the definition. <laughs> oh. We, we can't we go got without a definition. A definition. Go. Social stratification. A condition in which the inequality in society is structured into social layers that are difficult to permeate. What that means is this is the structure that arose around our biased beliefs <clears throat> that then got rigid with time. And now we all just live inside of it, even though it's not the best structure for us. Stratification, we're solidifying inequality. Think of the caste system in India. That was stratification, right? That's it's rigid stratification of inequality. So now you know what that big fancy word means. You know, what's interesting is recently, Shai, we were in an interaction where two Two older gentlemen were having a back and forth conversation at a table of about 10 people. And at this table, those two gentlemen were the only two gentlemen and they were a little bit older. And every other person at the table was a female. And the two gentlemen um, went on talking for about 30 minutes. Not a joke. Without acknowledging any of the women at the table at all, bringing them into the conversation, asking questions of anybody. The two of them just went back and forth, dominating the conversation uh, from basically the whole table because of the juxtaposition of where they were sitting end to end. And so after the 30 minutes of them completely ignoring everyone around, I stepped up and 
interrupted the conversation and said, I'm actually going to ask a question. And the gentleman fought me. He said, no, 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 no. I have something to say. And I said, no, you've been talking for 30 minutes and I appreciate where you're going to bring forward here. But no, I have a question and I have a right to ask it. And he said, well, if you do that, then and I forget it, then I'm going to be mad at you. And I said, well, you can go ahead and be mad at me. And I, I went ahead and asked my question of the other gentleman who was at the table. But here's the thing. It took me 30 minutes just to gain the courage to be heard inside a conversation because the stratification of the social expectation that you just defer to men is so deeply ingrained in me and you wouldn't interrupt somebody older than you who was talking, even if it was egregious and at the expense of everyone else at the table, right? This is so deeply ingrained in me that it's difficult for me or anyone else to to act in that moment. We don't even realize that stratification is at play when these things are happening. Well, now you're violating a norm, right? And you're violating a norm of the dominant ideology. So where do those norms come from in social science speak? They come from the dominant ideology, which really just means like the mainstream values, the mainstream philosophies, right? Like those things that everyone kind of agrees with, or in theory, everyone agrees with um, as a kind of being the, the, the main way that we do things that nuclear family vibe, right? That's for a long time in the U.S. That's been the, the, the dominant ideology around the institution of the family is that it should be in the nuclear family uh, way. And so that the, the stratification that has kind of settled and rigidly around the world has been that of a patriarchy. Now, don't, I'm, we're not going to get super crazy feminist on you here. Just talking about the reality that men built the world, that men have ruled the world for a long time. And so, of course, it has been advantage to men. Think about this. If you are right-handed, you all of the scissors work for you, all of the desks are designed for you, all of the golf clubs are designed for you. If you're left-handed, things are different, right? And we've used, we've used this analogy before when it comes to race, but it's uh, it's it's equal when we talk about uh, this gender issue as well, right? If you are a woman and you're living in the world that was designed by men for right-handed people and you're left-handed, then there's just that natural disadvantage that comes from that. And if we never address it, the stratification remains, and we have statistics like women grow half the world's food, but rarely own the land. Only 29 out of the 500 top business leaders are women in the Forbes 500. Only 29. These are like within the last five years statistics. So hell, let's even add another hundred to that. Even if it wildly grew and a hundred new female CEOs, we would still not even be close to a fifth of that or excuse me, a quarter of, of the CEOs in place, even though we're more than half of the population worldwide. Women have less than 1% of corporate managerial positions. And here's a fun fact, out the 83 cents out of every dollar that women earn, at our recent rate of change in order to close the pay gap, it'll take white women only until 2059. So, hey, fellow white ladies, we've only got a few more decades to earn the same dollar for dollar that men do. But for black women, I'm sorry, it won't be until 2124 at our current rate of change if we don't do anything about the stratification. And for Latina women, it's 200 plus years away, not till 2248 at the current rate of change. So are there real statistics that demonstrate that the stratification of old thought patterns of patriarchy are still in place and having an impact on our lives. I think it's pretty clear that it is. Makes me want to say money, money, money must be funny. In a rich man's world. Rich man's world. Huh? Uh -huh, exactly. It is the rich man's world. But 
Let's get back to those agents of socialization because there are four main ones that you've got to know about because it helps you to examine maybe where are these beliefs coming from if they aren't serving you. Look, you've got beliefs, you have habits, you have traditions that serve you, that add value to your life, that enrich who you are. But for the ones that don't, it's time to put them on the examination table and decide if you want to cut them on out. So Shai, bring them back at us. We got our family, we got society. Well, we got our institutions, okay, right? So education, government, healthcare, religion, right? Have you been influenced or involved with any of those four institutions? Because if you have, <laughs> Congratulations, you have been somewhat socialized by those institutions, right? These institutions were created, they emerged as humans lived in groups, and we had to figure out ways to, to figure out what to do with the sick people and figure out what to do with the youngins when they need learning, right? Hey, the first time I went to communion, it was like, we're eating what and drinking who? <laughs> like, that was Tradition. the blood of, wait, what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. It was right? Strange. Yeah, that was, you were experiencing a cultural artifact of that institution of religion, right, within that particular religious experience. So uh, imagine uh, the impact that your life has had if you were part of a religious institution growing up. That's likely deeply embedded in you and some of your core values and beliefs likely started there, if not stayed there. So you have to take this examination of to maybe there are some institutions that have given me some things that I might not want to take forward. You know, uh, here's a really interesting thought. If you are a straight A student, someone really committed to getting the job all the way done. You might have found yourself after college or maybe a certain point in school dropping off on the productivity scale and wondering why. Well, we have had a really interesting realization lately that sometimes we hold ourselves back because all of the conditions aren't perfect, right? You don't want to go exercise because you don't have the full hour to drive yourself to the gym, to do the full thing, to come home, to shower. You just don't have that level of time so you won't work out at all. So when we think about this in relation to how we're socialized from an institutional perspective, if you were really good at checking off the boxes that somebody else gave you in school, but maybe not so good at checking off or creating your own boxes to then check off and giving yourself grace for an 80% or a 75%, knowing that that meant you got the job done, that, that, that the socialization of school can sometimes make us feel like we're failing in adulthood because we're not necessarily getting A's. Right. And, and it, that's a product of that interaction with the institution. Some of those other agents of socialization, right? We've got that family, the number one agent where we learn the most. We've got these institutions that we interact with at large. And then let's talk about media and peer group, because these are two really major ones that have big influences on our lives. I mean, think about, you know, there's a, a, a tremendous amount of information and study right now about the influence of social media and looking at the the impact of its presence on our youth and the, the upcoming generations. We're seeing massive shifts in communication patterns and anxiety levels in self um, confidence levels and all kinds of different ways that this this piece of culture, right? And this agent of socialization is expressing and changing who we are as human beings. Once again, demonstrating that really deep relationship you've got with society around you. Thanks for letting us be a positive media influence in your life, hopefully coming in your ear, just bringing more awareness as to the levels that we see ourselves being affected at. Now that last bit, your peer group, those who are around you, you've likely heard that the five people around you are kind of the culmination of who you end up becoming. So if you hang 
hang out with people who have really terrible habits, but you're trying to create good habits, you're not going to have as easy of a time because you are very heavily influenced by your peer group and your social sphere. We've had such a good time getting to talk all about the energy of society. I honestly feel like we could go for hours. So many. Like we, we, could, we touch like three chapters, guys. Oh, <laughs> like barrel. I mean, we could even go deeper. So stay tuned. There's probably going to be an energy of society part two at some point here on the Infinite Energy podcast. But we're so grateful that you chose to spend your time with us today. And it came at you as always with so much infinite love from your sisters, Kay and Shai. This podcast was a production of Angel Phoenix Productions. Explore more episodes of this show or other great shows on the Angel Phoenix Podcast Network by visiting angelphoenix.com. The views expressed in this show do not necessarily represent those of Angel Phoenix Productions or its advertisers and may contain language that's unsuitable for younger listeners.